The Adventures of Two Boss Babes, Navigating How to Be Modern Women. You know you love them. XOXO, Boss Babes. Hello, Boss Babes, and welcome to this week's episode of XOXO Boss Babes Podcast. I'm your host, B. And I'm your host, TA. And tonight we're talking all about loss. Here's the thing. Each week we talk about a ton of different things. We talk about luxury items. We talk about drugstore buys. We talk about our life. We talk about divorce, highs, lows. But for the most part, we talk about fun things and it's a space for us to gossip. But we don't want this space to just be the fun stuff. We want to talk about real life. We talk about Instagram and how it's a highlight reel. But the truth of the matter is, is that's not everyday life. Um, And so today's podcast is going to be all about loss. And for the most part, TA is going to be sharing a story of her own loss that she's experienced in life. And it's very personal to her. Um, So I want to thank everyone for tuning in to this week's episode. And, uh, you know, we'll always be talking about fun topics. But tonight's topic is going to be something relatable because we all experience loss in our life. I feel that um, this loss, though, is you know, a little bit different, especially given uh, the age uh, that I was. And so we have uh, been on here before and we talked about our divorces. And I feel like to a degree, divorce comes with a loss. Um, but- Absolutely. It feels like a loss. You feel like you're mourning a relationship. And you know what? That was a bit heavier of an episode for us. But we also got the most feedback about that episode. We did. And the sex episode. But yeah. that's a whole other topic. <laughs> but absolutely. Divorce is a loss. And it was a bit heavier of a topic. But it was a relatable topic. We all go through those kind of things. The loss that... T- TA is going to talk to us about is something that certainly a lot of people will not be able to relate to. Um, But we think it's an important uh, piece of information and story for us to share because it's really going to give you a good insight to TA's journey in life. If you think about where you were back then to where you are now, you're two different people and you you face such a hardship in your life. And this is going to give our listeners a really good insight into who you are and why you are the way you are. And, and that is just so spoken uh, so truly. I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, I would not be the young woman that I am today if this certain experience never took place. As sad as it is and as hard as it was... I am, I am, we all grow. So of course we're different now at, you know, in our mid thirties than we were when we were in our twenties, but this experience allowed me to grow in a way that I never um, thought possible. So I think um, we'll just kind of get right in. And the loss that we are talking about is many, many years ago, I was married to a very wonderful man and his name was Jared. And sadly, Jared was diagnosed with a very rare cancer and he tried to fight it for a year and a half. Um, And in 2005, he did lose that battle and he passed away. And at the time, I was uh, almost 22 years old. And so we did get married young. Um, A little backstory. I met him at a party when I was 16 years old. And I was standing with my sister and my best friend and we were standing on the stairs and he had come walking down the stairs and we made eye contact 
and he just kind of walked past me, said hello, and I have this big grin on my face right now as I'm telling the story because I feel like I'm that 16-year-old TA. And It's bringing you back. It's totally bringing me back, and he said hello and walked away and continued down the stairs. Okay, I want to I, yeah. I want to help our listeners understand you're, you're 16 years old. Right. Are you in school still? Yeah, I'm in high school. So I was in grade I want to say I was in grade 11. Cuz it's funny, you think back to I think about the loves that I had. Mm-hmm. Um it, when I was in grade 11 and you're, it's this very high school love and infatuation. So it can only imagine the fact that it led to marriage. You must have just been over the moon. Well, I was. But he was... Now, when I say he was older than me, he wasn't a lot older than me, but he was 19. So to me... Oh, you were 16 and he was 19. Yes. So oh, to good me, to know. I didn't. You know what? In all the years I've known you, I did not know that. Yeah. I thought you were the same age. No. So he was 19. And so at that time, he had this group of friends... Um, these five friends and him and they were 19 and they were living like what it appeared to me back then they were living the life they were they were going to bars they were going to trips to Whistler um, and it's just like they were the boys they were the group of boys that the girls wanted to be around in this group of friends that I had at this time and uh, it's just so funny because he walked down those stairs and I looked at my sister and I looked at my best friend all three of us And we knew. We were like, something just happened. And... Oh, really? Everyone could feel the chemistry instantly between the two of you. Absolutely. And pretty much from that moment on, I was was in love. So was he working at the time? He was obviously out of school and and had graduated. Was he working and... Yeah, he was. Uh, He was working um, in the finance industry and he was in the process of like right before he got sick he was in the process of completing his financial planning course okay so um he was working towards um a career and just i remember he drove this black cavalier which he later <laughs> which i thought was the greatest thing <laughs> i know it's so it's just so funny yeah. to think back eh, to these memories that you probably have really i don't want to say suppressed but obviously it's not every day that you're thinking about jared because it, it you know it's great memories for you but it's also a very hard time yeah and it's these memories about like the black cavalier I haven't thought of this for years until now. And which he later, um, as we started dating, um, he traded in the Black Cavalier and he got a silver Acura, which is one of our dates. And we weren't even dating. He had called One of your dates was to go get a new car? No, one of the dates was, it was the very first Fast and the Furious movie. (laughs) And he, we weren't dating. He had just called me up. Well, the funny thing is, is back in those days, there was no iPhones or cell phones. So he had a pager. I had a pager. Yeah. And what's so crazy today is that pager number, I use that phone number, that pager phone number for some of my passwords. So I've never forgotten it. Oh my God, that's hilarious. So you had the password. No, his pager number. His pager number. Okay. I was going to say you had the password, but no, it was his number. Okay. And Hilarious. Yeah. So I would like page him and then he would call the house back. And in those days, you had a landline, and you also had... Well, and of course, you lived at home. You were 16. Exactly. And you had it where, like, people would call through, and you would get a beep. And I was obsessed. Like, my sister would be talking on the phone to her little high school friends, and I'd be like, if Jared calls me, you have to answer that beep. I've paged him. (laughs) (laughs) I loved this man. 
You were obsessed. I just, I was in love. Like, I was, like, there was just no, I was, like, I knew. Oh, well, I think back to my love at 16 years old. Yeah. And how obsessed I was with this man. And we dated for three and a half years. But I can only imagine that a grade 11 love. Like, you are, he could do no wrong. Never. He was probably just oh. salt of the earth. He like, was. you were so in love with him. He yeah. And he was a great guy. He was. And he was such a cutie. And so I paged him, and he had called back. And so he had asked if I wanted to go see a movie, and he had gotten a new car. Did your parents like him? Loved. Okay. My parents loved him. Okay. So he had gotten this new Acura. So he had come to pick me up in the Acura and we went to go see the Fast and the Furious movie. And after the movie was done, because the car was standard, I was like, I want to drive the car in the parking lot because the parking lot was now empty and it was standard. And so he was going to teach me. Fast and Furious inspired you to get behind the wheel. It totally did. And the best part about it too is that like I was trying to be funny and I was like, do it fast, do it furious. Too fast, too furious. <laughs> and I was like, up and gearing down. And we were like going around the parking lot, bless his heart, and he just was like the cutest thing and so the thing is though is at that time I think he did like me but he also realized this girl is still in high school and she's still now we're in the summer I think of grade 11 and I'm going into grade 12 and he's like now 19 20 years old like I mentioned earlier he's with his friends they were going back in the day to like the ozone and to bar none like all these like ancient bars from like 15, 20 years ago. I was going to say, maybe he sees me there, but I'm younger than you. So if you weren't there yet, I was still, (laughs) I'm like in grade eight. (laughs) Okay. So, so what happened then? Because like you said, he's going to the ozone, he's clubbing, he's loving life. And you're like going to bed at 930 because you have school the next day. Okay. So does he leave you high and dry? What happens? So all through like my grade 12 year, he was always around to like, he would come in it, come in and go. And so then, okay, so it was in. Had you kissed? Not yet. I'm going to tell, I'm going to get into that point. I'm I'm, going to tell the night. Oh, I want to know. Because so at this point, it's just flirting. There's no. And I'm paging him. Okay, so you page him to talk to you. Yeah. You're obsessed. Very much. And do you, can you tell that he likes you, or are you at this point still wondering? You don't even know if he likes you back. No, I knew that he liked me. It wasn't a matter of that, but I also knew that he's going to Whistler with his friends because sometimes I'd page him and he'd get back to me four days later and he'd be like, So sorry, I was in Whistler. Oh, okay. So I knew that. And so um, I just kind of, it really hurt me. It hurt me because I knew that we couldn't at that moment be together. And I was so worried that he was going to go out and like find a girl that would have been his age or yeah. And able to go and do all these things that he was doing with his friends. Well, and at that time too, those type of things seem like the end of the world. Oh, they did. Like you must have been had anxiety. I did because it felt like they had and all of his friends were in that age group. So it was like, you know, you have this like 16, 17 year old TA with these like 20 year olds. Well, they're all doing, like I said, their thing. I'm not allowed to like do the kinds of Drink or go wherever. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when did it start 
bring me to the kiss. Okay. How did so that happen? What's funny is at the time, this group of friends and my group of friends, including because, you know, when I say that I lost Jared and he passed away and we'll get into this time goes on. And so eventually I did remarry and that's what we talked about the divorce. But that whole group of friends, we were all intertwined. So we were ironically at a party that my ex-husband hosted. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that I was ever going to marry this guy in, in future. So, um, we're mutual friends. We're all yeah. mutual friends. And this party was at, now I don't know if it's still called the same, but it was a hall out in Cloverdale. And it was in April of 2001. And he came to pick me up in the Acura and he asked me what I wanted to drink. And I said that I wanted Kahlua mudslides. So he brought me. <laughs> Rewind. Had you ever drank before in your life? Not like not really. So this was like the one drink you knew the name of. Yeah, like I, I, I had had like a little wine and like a little like. But but you know what? Back in that day, they had the little bottles of the pre-made mud slides, and of course they were. They tasted good because it was no different when I was that young. I drink like the. Cool berry coolers yes. or something, and they were like purple. They were yeah. so full of sugar, Blech. but yeah. that's all you would drink as a kid. Okay, exactly. hilarious. So he brings me this four pack of Kahlua mudslides in the four little bottles. Oh, and you probably felt so cool. I Look did, at but... my boyfriend picking me up in the Acura with the four pack mudslides. Yeah, we, were, we were a couple. Well, my but friend. In my mind. Yeah, you I were was in your so mind. So excited. Yeah. And the the best part is that I was trying to give him five dollars for these Kahlua mudslides, and he's like, No, no, it's fine it's fine so we like go off to this party and I'm going to show you the next time we're together pictures from this party I almost wish I had them here to show you now they're at home I know where they are you would just die of laughter because I am so chubby my chubby chubby face my eyebrows are so tweezed and so thin and I'm wearing like khaki colored pants with like a gray shirt And And that was your amazing outfit to wear to a party. Yeah, totally. (laughs) And and I had a blue zip-up. It wasn't a hoodie. It was, like, more, like, elastic. I totally remember that it kind of, like, zipped up. And I thought it was cute because it, like, pushed my boobs together. So I was like, oh, this is, like, kind of sexy. Ooh, this is my... Was it baby blue? Because baby blue was all the rage back then. It was, like, navy blue. Okay. And my hair was blonde, but it was short. Okay. So I would curl it and it would flick out. Oh, and- <laughs> I had that haircut. I had that exact haircut. I and I was in grade seven, so we're it's probably the same time frame. That's hilarious. Totally. And my color of lipstick that I was wearing was from Avon, and it was called like Chili Spice. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking I'm just the cutest thing. Well, and you probably were. So, anyways, I'll have to show you the pictures. Yeah. So he comes and picks me up. Off to the party I go. And um, we're at the party, and so great party, and he's paying me all this attention, and we're dancing and whatnot, so the party ends, and he drives me home. And so I, again, am trying to give him now $5 for gas money, and we're sitting in the parking lot, or not the parking lot, in the driveway of my parents' house. And I hand him the $5, I'm like, please take the $5 for gas money for picking me up, and he says to me, I'll make you a deal, you can keep the $5 if I can kiss you goodnight. 
And I got nervous because I'm thinking... You're sitting in the driveway of your parents. Totally. And I'm like, they're probably watching this. And so I'm like, um, okay, but maybe we should drive away. So we like drove away to like an abandoned parking lot we made out. And I was so happy. And I, the very next day, I like called my best friend like, oh my God, oh my God, Jared and I made out. You should have been there. It was like the best moment. And she you should have like, been there. should have been there in the back seat with you. <laughs> you should have been there to watch. Oh my god. You're just you're bringing me back to these. It was. It was feels. Like one of the best moments of my life in in at that time. And so and really probably still yes. if you think about totally. you know what it's so it's such a shame that as we get older we lose those feelings. Yes. You, do. you know what I mean? Like it's not yeah, you totally do and I think just even talking about this now it's kind of taking me back to this time in my life that I forgot about a little bit about and um, it's like that Peter Pan syndrome it's yeah. like you never want to grow up and it's those feelings as a girl that we would get um when you're first falling in love very much and I think we kind of lo- lose that we do and lose so, that over time yeah and from that moment onwards though like he was not my boyfriend we went in and out I was all worried like well we kissed and like why aren't we together um, but eventually one day came where, and I don't even really know how it happened, we just continued spending time together. And I had now graduated and I'd started working um, at the employer that I was, uh, that I'm still working for. And I knew that he liked me because when I got home that day, there was an email and he had asked me how my day at work had been. And I knew I was like, okay, I know for sure he likes me. And pretty much from that moment on, our relationship flourished. So Did he like, ever ask you to be his girlfriend? Like, was there a yes, moment where you was. defined it? Okay, yeah. so take us to that time. So that moment, he was still in his, you know, bar phase. And he had gone out one night. He was over at my place first. And he had left. To so go. hold on. Yeah. Hold the phone. He came to hang out with you before he left you to go to the bar with yeah. his friends. Yeah. And That's then, amazing. And because you were still not legal. I was still not legal. And then he came back. Afterwards? Like, not even, like, half an hour later. Oh, because he wasn't having fun. He came back. And or he missed you. he oh. realized. And he said, I realized being there that, like, you weren't there with me, so why do I want to be there? And then from that moment Oh, yeah. that's so cute. Yeah. And so then from that moment onwards, we were boyfriend and Did girlfriend. you have a discussion? I told him that, like how I just felt that that's how I've been feeling for like the last two years pretty much and that it was something that like I wanted him to go out and have a good time with his friends and I never wanted to stem that way but it was always something that was on my mind because I knew that I wasn't at the legal age and two years too like to be pining over someone you must have been freaking over the moon when he asked you to be his girlfriend I was like I've landed the guy but that is so cute what he said and did oh my god I love it okay so we need to we speed things up here. We, I'm sure our listeners are dying to know. So you guys become boyfriend and girlfriend. Your relationship obviously flourishes. How long do you date before he proposes? And tell us how he proposes. So we got engaged in August of 2002 at the Washington Avenue Grill. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's still a hangout of yours. It is. I still like going there. Oh, so. That's, so, that's so funny. I had no idea that that's where you yeah. got engaged. And no wonder that place is sort of like nostalgic for you. So hold on. How how long were you dating? Um, from officially. So officially. from the time he leaves the ozone or wherever the heck he was. Yeah. From January of 2002 to August of 2002. 
Oh, so not long. No, not long. No, so yeah, yeah. so he knows yeah. pretty quick. Yeah. Okay, so August, does he get down on one knee in Washington Avenue Grill? He does. And it wasn't very busy in there at the time, so he gets down on one knee, and then my, his parents already knew, so then... Was anyone there, or was it just the two of no, you? No, it was just the two of us. So, But then after, like, because his parents already knew, he had called them, and she was like, she said yes, and then they came over to my parents' house, and we had champagne. Oh, yeah. I love it. And my dad was, like, jumping up and down, and my dad's like, I'm gonna have a son-in-law. I'm gonna How have old were you? I was 18 years old. I was just about to turn 19 that October. Oh my god. So Can you think about it now, people at that age nice. getting engaged? No, I don't. It's I can't crazy. Think about it now. And if I had a daughter right now that was that age, I'd be like, what are you doing? Yeah, totally. <laughs> but, but it's funny to think about that. That's what I did. And so, and uh, funny story when I did turn 19, good old Jared took me to the Ozone. <laughs> Because I wanted to go so bad because they'd been going for all these years and I was never able to go. Totally. And, and the crazy thing And you is, like to dance and you like music, so you, you probably loved it. I didn't love it as much. I was like, this is what you guys have been doing this whole time and I have felt that I've been missing out. But anyways, that I was at a different phase then too, so... I was well, you were like, getting married. Yeah. I was like Susie Homemaker already in my in my little head. Yeah. So, um, we... Well, and at that yeah. age, you feel like you're ready to get married and you want to get married. I think about to my boyfriend at the time and we're going to talk about him on a future episode, but now is not the time. But the point is, is that had he asked me to marry him, I would have said yes too because that's the mentality you're in when you're that young and you're so in love. You are. Yeah. And no one could have told me any different. No. So, no one could have talked you out of it. No. Nobody could have. And everybody loved him. So he was um, adored by everybody, strangers, co-workers, family, friends, extended family. Everybody loved the man. So, um, and, and, and so did I. Yeah. And um, I'm no different. Yeah. So how long are you engaged before the wedding? Because you got married yeah. when? In February, February 15th, 2003. So this coming Oh, February, okay. So you're yeah. only engaged from August. So six September, months. six months. Yeah. Wow. So, this, so your family threw a wedding together quick. Yeah. My mom was just like in wedding like mode already. And this coming February, we would be celebrating. If he was still here, it would have been our 16-year wedding anniversary this February. Oh, my God. Yeah, crazy. So we get married in 2003 and we're married for one year and he uh goes to the gym one day and comes home and tells me that he's not feeling good and he feels that he's pulled a muscle and of course we have a healthy man so you had been hold on before we get there because i we're about to talk about his diagnosis and yeah his sick process and this is part of the sad part of the story and you know we've we've talked a lot about young love and falling in love and I'm sure we're all excited we're about to get into it you were married for a year yes while he was healthy yes to your knowledge he obviously wasn't at the time probably but to your knowledge he was healthy happy marriage happy marriage Totally in love. Totally in love. I know at the time, I remember you guys were in a basement suite. You loved your little place. You were cooking, cleaning. Yep. Doing all those domesticated things. Completely happy. Completely happy. And I want to say along those lines, I was 19, 20 years old. He was 23. We didn't have money. Well, we were. You were babies. We were babies. We both worked. We lived in a teeny tiny basement suite that we paid $485 for a month. Which like at the lot. time was probably a lot. He well, not a lot, but a lot. Do you know what it I mean? It was a lot for us. Like, yeah. he, 
the, the, the truth is we probably we actually looked at a basement suite that was around $750 and I loved it and it was beautiful and we opted not to take it because we knew that that extra money could go towards something else I drove an old could you, wouldn't escort. you just die to have $700 right now yes, I know. <laughs> like I look back at that time I drove an old Ford Escort that was just like this old little car that got me from A to B. We barely had any money. We didn't go on vacations. I never went and got my nails done. I never bought, I bought makeup, not like I buy makeup now. I, we never had a lot. But, but we were you were so happy. happy. So and, happy. And you know what? That's important. And that's what I want to stress here is that, yeah, you said it was your upcoming wedding anniversary and it would have been 16 years and no one can predict what would have happened, but you guys were a year-long happily married couple and they say the first year was the hardest no, I went but you you so you it just went great so now he goes to the gym he comes home he thinks he's torn a muscle yes and of course I think he's torn a muscle as well because he's a healthy young 23 year old man who plays hockey who goes to work who's studying for to become a financial planner and of course I feel like you've torn a muscle and um, I'm going to skip through a bunch of little details, but eventually, and it, it happened quick, but by the time three weeks had gone by, I knew that there was something wrong. So yeah. was he just like flu-like? Was he brute? Like what was it that his sickness kept going? He was flu-like and then like it got to the point where it was pneumonia-like. Like I actually thought that he had walking pneumonia because he would like function, but he would come home. And the second he would come home, he was like, I'm so tired. And when he would go to sleep, he was telling me that he was always in pain from sleeping on the right side. And then anytime he'd go to talk, he couldn't talk. He'd cough. So definitely the symptoms started to progress as the time went on and his pain started to increase. His appetite started to suppress. He started to lose weight. And at this point, had he gone to the doctor at all? He had gone to a walk-in clinic and they told him to take a cough syrup with codeine because they said it would help his cough. And that's what we did because that's what we thought was wrong. Yeah, because again, he's 23 and up until this point, completely happy and healthy. Yeah, exactly. So after the three weeks... What was the next step? I make him a doctor's appointment with my family doctor. And we go in there and they did a bunch of like breathing exercises. And of course, the doctor is like listening to his, his um, back and his, and his chest. And then from there, they sent us to have an x-ray. This all happens in one day. We have the doctor's appointment in the morning at like 10 a.m. From there, he goes to have an x-ray. From the x-ray, they come back and tell us that they have found a liter and a half of fluid in his right lung. And so that's what's causing him every time he goes to open his mouth to talk, the coughing. So now they have made an appointment for us in the same day to go see a respiratory therapist and that she is going to tap the lung. I'm thinking, this is great. He's going to get the relief that he needs. We're going to go. We're going to be in the hospital for a couple hours. His lung is going to be tapped. We're going to come home. I'm going to make him a pot of soup and bundle him all up. And we're going to just move on with our lives. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, no one thinks 23-year-old completely healthy is going to have cancer. No. And so when they tapped the lung and they drained the fluid, it was hard to watch because I knew that it was painful and uncomfortable for him. But he had said once they finished, he felt so much relief. I bet. Just I so bet. much relief. And well, he'd been dealing with that for three weeks. Yeah, exactly. The pressure. So they did another x-ray when they were finished tapping the lung because the respiratory therapist wanted to take a look. So they did the x-ray and they tested the fluid. 
And they came back and they said, at that moment, we're going to run some blood tests. We think you have tuberculosis. And I just started crying. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, tuberculosis. He's going to be like in a bubble. Like, what's going to happen? He's going to have to stay in the hospital. Um, so- and it's crazy that they tr- they they thought that quickly that it was, and they told you, tuberculosis. Yeah. Yeah, they did. So after they did the blood work and the second x-ray, um, they then came back and they said, we're now going to send you for a CAT scan. And so it was at that moment that I knew. There's did you start getting scared at that I point? Because I knew this isn't a tuberculosis. People wait months for CAT scans. People wait months for x-rays. And it, it, this is all happening in one day. Well, x-rays, not so much. I mean, you wait a day or, or you know, x-rays for sure. They're everywhere. But a CAT scan, months. So mm-hmm. if they're getting you in same day for a CAT scan... I knew. It's not normal. No. So they did the CAT scan. They asked us to come back at like four o'clock for the results. Again, not normal. No, not normal. We go and we have lunch. Um, we don't really talk about it. We're just like driving around in our little Ford Escort. He's driving it around. And we come back and we get the results and we're sitting in the respiratory therapist's office. And I remember trying not to blink. Because my eyes were filling with water and I didn't want him to see the fear. And I didn't want the tears. This is when you're driving? Nope. This is when we were sitting in the office. We're back. Oh, okay. And as the respiratory therapist is talking. You're trying to hold back the tears. I'm trying to hold back the tears. I'm in shock. Because what she is saying is that it's not tuberculosis. We have found a tumor as big as a cantaloupe lodged in between your heart and your lung. We don't know if it's cancerous because of the size. It could very well be benign. But regardless, it needs to be removed and you are going to need open heart surgery. And my eyes were filling with water and I was trying so hard not to blink because I didn't want You didn't the want tears. the tears to run down your face no. and you wanted to stay strong for Jared. Totally. And the look on his face, he didn't even know this what the size of a cantaloupe was. And so we finish up that appointment. We get as much information as we can. And we get in the car and we drive to my parents. And I am sobbing. Like, I'm not in hysterics, but I'm sobbing like a hurtful cry because I just knew this is not, this is going to mean a lot for him. And I don't think he realizes what he's about to go through. And he didn't. Bless his heart, he had no idea. Uh, So once we told our families, like, my parents were... Well, yeah, and you guys just, were by yourselves at this point, because you'd probably be just telling mom and dad, Jared's not feeling well, I'm taking care of him, I'm making him soup, yeah, I'm, exactly. we're going in the mood, whatever you're telling him, or them. So they don't, they probably didn't even have any clue. So you come home and you say, he's got a tumor the size of a cantaloupe. Yep. In his little body. He's not a huge guy. No. Um... Wow. Yeah. And my grandparents, like even my nan, she was like, I feel sick. And that's exactly how I would describe it. I felt sick because... How quickly do they want to schedule the surgery? Well, they can't because first of all, they needed to determine, is it cancerous? So we have to have the biopsy. And at this time, this is when there was a nurse strike. So we were being delayed. So we have to do a biopsy. We have to determine if it is cancer. 
we have to send it to pathology. They now have to determine what kind of cancer it is, what kind of cells it is. Is it, is it, is it going in the lymph nodes? Is it going in the bone marrow? Is it spreading in your body? What kind of chemotherapy are we going to give you? What kind of radiation are we going to do? How long are we going to do this? What size do we need to shrink this to for us to be able to safely remove it? And a lot of the times when you have cancer, the cancer is removed first and then you follow up with the treatment. Yeah. Where in his case, we needed to shrink this tumor for him to even be operated on, which meant that he was going to have to endure months of chemotherapy to shrink it to the size of a grapefruit. And then you have to be healthy enough after the treatments in order to do the surgery. Yes. And chemotherapy... You it's hear, horrid. It's horrid. And I never realized it. I always heard then when people would talk about getting sick or having treatments or, you know, kidney failure or different kinds of cancers or chemotherapy. And I would just think like, oh, that poor family or, you know, that poor mom or that poor dad and they have to go through this. I never realized what it did to you. I never realized the toll it took on the body until I actually sat, sat at the cancer agency for six months and watched him week by week get injected with poison because it poisons everything. And I I have to say is that this is back in 2003, yes. 2004, 2003. We're now into 2004 now. Okay. So we're in 2018, 2000. Well, no, we're not. We're in 2019. And so chemotherapy from 2004 to 2019 has changed vastly. So you think that um, it was po- it's poisonous now back then? It was lethal. Like he and, you know, Whereas I feel like if I was faced with that situation nowadays, I would be doing a lot more research. I would, we were babies. So Diet, what other kind of naturopathic yes. things could you have done or added to it to maybe help? But at the same time, Jared had a very rare form of cancer. He did. So why don't you talk a little bit about once you got the full diagnosis. So he's gone for the test. They've done the biopsy. They've done all those things. So what was the prognosis? It was a sarcoma. And so the sarcoma and where it was positioned was rare. They didn't necessarily know how they were going to target it. They had a few different ideas. And um, to be honest with you, I don't think that they thought that he was going to live to even have surgery. And somehow he managed and it was not easy um it was not easy watching him they let me stay in the room when he did the bone marrow biopsy and there's a few moments of this whole time in my life that when i say time has gone by so so long now that the the feeling is not the same as it was then obviously time heals things Time doesn't make things go away, but time heals. But there are a few certain key moments that when I think about them haunt me because the screams that were coming from him, the tears that were coming down his face and the look on the nurse's face when they were holding my hand and holding his hand while he was going through this torturous procedure, I will never forget. It traumatized me. I couldn't even talk about it after. He couldn't even talk this about it. This is the bone marrow biopsy. Biopsy. Because they had to make sure that the cancer didn't go into the bone marrow. Okay. Which it came back and it was negative. It was not in the bone marrow. So his one thing that he had that was going for him is the cancer stayed contained. So they were able, after months of chemotherapy, they didn't do radiation. After months of chemotherapy, they were able to shrink it to the size of a grapefruit. 
he was extremely sick for those six months. So it went from a cantaloupe to a grapefruit. So it's still large. It's still big. So they weren't able to shrink it that much, to be honest. No, but they were able to shrink it enough to remove it. Oh, okay. Yes. And that was their key is they needed to get it out. So how many months now from the time you went for the x-ray to the time where he goes into surgery? So the x-ray was in March of 2004 and he had surgery on February 17th, 2005. Oh, so he's gone through a year almost of chemo. Yeah. And so February 15th, 2005, it was our two year wedding anniversary and we went to see the movie Hitch. (laughs) and he took you to the theater yeah he was feeling better then like he was because at that point they had stopped chemotherapy for like seven weeks to get his body um building a little bit more like immune immunity to go into surgery because like i said you have to have a certain strength otherwise they won't operate because they want to make sure you're going to survive the surgery and a lot of people don't but the healthier you are going into surgery the more likely it is that you're going to survive surgery yes so they go in in february and remove the grapefruit sized tumor yeah and the week before his surgery, we had actually gone to, my family lives in Palm Springs, so we had gone to, we took a trip. Um, my mom came with us because he was ill and I didn't want to be on my own. Um, but he was able to go to Disneyland and um, I have pictures of us standing together with the characters and he just is barren it all and he has his bald head, but he looked good. Why yeah. have I not seen these? I feel like these yeah. are things that I want to see. I'll show them to you. So yeah, um, but he has the surgery. And they removed the tumor, and sadly, they had to remove his right lung with it because when the tumor was so big, it did crush his right lung completely. Can you live with just one lung? Yeah, you can. Oh, okay. So you always just sort of have respiratory issues, but you can live with one lung. I didn't know that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So besides the fact that they have to remove his lung, did they consider the surgery successful? They did. And when they sent the tumor to pathology and it came back, it was only 10% cancerous. So they were able to shrink it to the size of a grapefruit to remove it. The cancer had stayed contained and part of that tumor was only 10% cancer cells. So, so you think you're getting good news? Totally. I am. I go home because everyone is telling me, you need to go home. You need to get your rest. He's in good care. And because he had the type of surgery that he had, he goes to like a step-down unit. And in the step-down unit, you actually have a nurse that sits at the foot of your bed. Everybody in the step-down unit, it's not, you're not on a ward and a nurse checks on you every now and then. You have 24-hour care of a nurse that's yours, that they do rounds, they switch off, and this nurse sits at the end of the bed. And that's really the only reason I went home is because I was like, I do need my rest and I know that he needs his rest and this nurse is going to watch him. Well, and I think too, it's like any business, right? Like businesses have changed and um, back then... I feel like maybe there was even more nurses around. Yeah. Right? Right now, maybe you don't get that type of care. But back then, in 2005, in the step-down unit, you had a nurse by your side. Yeah. Which is great. Amen for that. Totally. And it it allowed me to go and and feel like he was in good care. Um, And then a couple hours later, I get a phone call that they had done another x-ray a few hours after the surgery to check on him. And he also lost a part of the heart, the pericardium. So they had to sew on a synthetic pericardium. And when they... Oh, so when they removed the um, 
lung, they also had to remove a bit of the heart. That's right. So when they did that, the synthetic pericardium started to unravel. So the heart was shifting. So they had to rush him back into surgery. I was all How long from his original surgery was this? Like seven hours later. Oh. And I'm at home now. And I'm thinking, that's it. I shouldn't have left. I shouldn't have left. I was thinking that, and I was also thinking, that's it. There's no way he's going to survive this, because he's not going to be able to go through a second open heart surgery. And I I begged the doctor, because he called me, the surgeon, please wait until I get there. And he said, Tamara, they are prepping the emergency room right now you have no choice and that was that I knew I had no choice so I got in my car and at that time I never drove and well I I shouldn't say I never drove I did drive I just never drove far distances and I got in my car and I was like that's it I'm I have no choice I'm driving to the hospital by myself and we talked a little bit about on our last podcast, things that we have upcoming for 2019. And one of the things I mentioned was how I'm going to my 10th Michael Bublé concert. And so this drive plays a part as to why I love Michael Bublé so much, because I always liked him. But this was such a scary time for me and all the months after being in the hospital and sitting in the hospital. And I was alone a lot of the times. As much as our family wanted to be there, I had siblings. They were still at home in high school. My parents still had full-time jobs. So as much as the family wanted to be there for us, not all the time could they just drop what they were doing and come and sit at the hospital for 10 or 12 hours. So I was by myself with someone that I couldn't communicate with. So what I would do is put Michael Bublé on my disc man <laughs> at the time. <laughs> and when I drove out to the hospital that day, it was pouring rain. Like I was like hydroplaning on the freeway. And I Which had... just thinking about, cause you don't like to drive in the rain now. No, I don't. So back then you're tw- 20 years old, uh, yeah, 21, 21 years old yeah. and driving the pouring rain. On the freeway over a bridge, which that used to terrify me. What hospital was he in? VGH. Oh, so you had to go all the way to Vancouver. Yeah, and I was driving my little Ford Escort, and I put Michael Bublé on. And I was like, Michael Bublé is going to get me through this drive. And when I pulled into the parking lot, I was so, I was like, I did it. Like, I couldn't believe that I had overcome. And I was just like. Such a big fear. Such a big fear. And thankfully, Jared pulled through that surgery. So that was good. Um, where it gets really tough is two days after that, he just runs into like general complications. His body is weak. He, he's had cancer. He's had chemotherapy for months. He's had two open heart surgeries. Yeah. And he gets pneumonia. And so they come to me and tell me. Has he ever left the hospital at this point? No. So no. he's still in the hospital. And he gets diagnosed with pneumonia. Yes. And he was having major complications. And so um, from there, he actually went into a coma and was put on life support. And he was on life support from February until July of 2005. So that's... Oh my God. So six months. Life support. Life support in the ICU. Had he ever waken up at that time? Never. Not once. Are you kidding me? And How I, did I not know this? And I was asked 
like it was about three days after he was first put on life support, I was told that I would ha would start, have to start thinking if I was going to make a decision to take him off because his body was now going into like a vegetable state. And I never understood what the ICU was or life support was. You hear about it, but I never understood. And there's a moment where I talk about the bone marrow biopsy haunts me. And the day that they took me down to ICU in my scrubs, because I wasn't allowed in there, just regular, like you had to scrub down. No, yeah. I know. I've been in ICU once because uh, a friend of mine was dating this guy who was in a horrific accident and was in ICU. So I know exactly you have to be in the gowns. And yeah. it is haunting because it's like four or five beds or rooms in a circle and yeah it's a dark place if that makes sense like so I, I can just picture you 21 years old I'm by myself by yourself in the and it's, he's on life support and this machine is pumping his body like to breathe TA how from February to July yeah I was by myself. He's in a coma. In a coma. How every were you there every day? Every day. Did every, you sleep there? Yeah. Where I, did you live? In pretty much in the cafeteria by myself. Um, I had friends that did live downtown, so every now I had a key to their apartment, and so every now and then, when the when the doctors would do their rounds, that's when I would leave because I had no choice. I wasn't allowed to stay. And then for those few hours, that's when I would go home, shower, sleep, or get some rest. And then I would come back. So what would you do? Just listen to Michael Bublé? Yeah. Did you read a book? Did you... I would listen to Michael Bublé. I would read magazines. Um, some people thought I was his sister because I was so young. And they were just like, you're so like brave being here for your brother. And I'm like, he's my husband. And I started making friends with people in the hospital. Like, everybody in the cafeteria knew who I was. And they were all, like, rooting for me. They were me. probably like, hi, TA. Totally. How's Jared doing? Yeah, they were. I was like, tell, and I'm such a talker, so I'm, like, telling the story. Um, and there were moments, like, when I was by myself or I would get certain news or, like, I'd get updates from doctors. And I would come and I'd, like, sit in the waiting room and I would just sob and cry because I didn't know what to do. And I had, like, strangers watching me cry, being, like, putting their arms around me and offering to get me something to eat from the cafeteria. And, and I would decline, and they would still go to the cafeteria and bring me, like, a donut and a, a, or a tea or a coffee or something. And so, yeah, I listened to Michael Buble every single day. And I, the only day that I actually left his side was on June 16th, 2005, because that was my very first Michael Bublé concert. And it was my one thing that I had to look forward to. And the one thing that I knew, I'm going to this concert. Good for you. And now you're about to go to your 10th concert. Yeah. So it's July. Yeah. And How the hell does he wake up? One day I get there and his eyes are open. Miraculously. And he's confused because... He's been he, asleep for five months. Of course. He February, thinks, March, April, May, June. Five months yeah. he's been sleeping. Yeah. He knows... He thinks he's been there for like two weeks. Thank goodness. I wasn't about to tell him what month it was. And he's trying to motion to me. So I'm like, okay, he, he like... He's he wants to write. He wants to write. And you could see the fear in his eyes because I think that he had been up for a while and he was wondering where I was because I hadn't gotten there yet. 
And so he's trying So where to were you? Were you in the cafeteria? Was, were you at home? Were I was you? like on my way. Okay. Was, so you had gone home to shower. You went downtown. Because you said you were there every day. So yeah. you, you just hadn't arrived there I yet. Because were you not, were you sleeping there? Yeah, I would sleep there. Some, but I would sleep. But then I always had to leave, like, if there was doctor rounds and stuff. Oh, so. okay. So the doctors obviously were there when he woke up. Because in ICU, there's doctors around at all times. Yes. So you had left for that. So you happened to wander back and his eyes are freaking open. open. You must have been like, this is crazy. I, I couldn't believe it. So he's motioning to you what he wants to write? Yeah. And he writes to me, file the taxes. <laughs> Poor thing has been through. Oh, he thinks it's March and and like you need to file taxes. Because he's thinking, he knows that he was in the hospital mid February and he thinks he's only been there for two weeks and so he's telling me to file the taxes. Oh my God. That's so, um, that's a (laughs) funny story and um, that's just so funny. Okay. So clearly the taxes don't need to be filed. You'd already taken care of that. Exactly. (laughs) Or not, but either way. They were filed. Yeah. Um, so yeah so I know eventually he gets out of the hospital because I know the story yes um how long until he's released he is released at the end of July okay so he starts to turn around and get a bit better better enough that he's released yes and he is released and um he he does have to go through some therapy because of course he hasn't walked or talked or swallowed for x amount of months and so those muscles slowly start to go so he went through some um rehabilitation and he came home and were you not thinking thank god i didn't pull him from life support i mean i don't know what help what told you not to make that decision because after five months holy crap it was his surgeon that told me not to make the decision because the doctors in ICU were telling me this man has no chance and his surgeon was the one that was saying to me these doctors in ICU think that they're right but they've only known him for two weeks I've known him and have worked with you guys for almost a year and he said I would have never have done the surgery if I felt that he never had a fighting chance. He has youth on his side so you need to remember that and it was his surgeon. That, but that, thank, what an angel that surgeon is because thank god he because you were 21 if doctors are telling you you need to make the hard decision and it's been five months one month two months you might have made a different decision. Oh, yeah. I was getting, So what an yeah. angel presence he was. And I was getting like, it was hard. Talk about being alone. And I would sit sometimes and call my mom from the cafeteria. And I would just be crying. And it wasn't even, I wasn't crying about Jared. I was crying because I kept saying like, I am alone. I eat breakfast alone. I eat lunch alone. I eat dinner alone. I sleep alone. I don't even sleep because half of the time I'm worried that I'm going to show up and he's not even going to be there. That was one of my biggest fears. I said, so I'm waking up in the middle of the night, phoning ICU and making sure that they can check on him and make sure that he's okay. Like I'm alone. I go to Starbucks alone. Um, At that time, my sister was around a lot. She was really present and um, she was able to take a a lot of time and, and be with me so I did have her when we would you know go to Starbucks and and we would go to Safeway and I would just try and the other thing is too is that like we didn't have money so I had to be very careful because I wasn't working and the only thing I was living off of was his $1,200 a month disability well I had 
$500 of that was going towards rent. So it's not, and I had parking to pay for when I would come to the hospital. So I had to be really careful of what I was spending when I was there on a day-to-day basis. Like every time I'd spend $5 on a magazine or $5 on a coffee, it definitely was on my mind because I knew, well, I only have X amount of dollars. Yeah, so it's not like you had this endless budget to spend as well. Yeah. So I think what we should do is let's take a little break. Um, we're going to come back. We're going to finish the the episode. So don't worry. I know you want to hear about this. But we're going to talk about the end of the J- July when Jared is released and, and go from there. So thank you so much for tuning in for this part of the story. And we'll be back in just a moment with the rest of the story. We're back, everybody. Thank you so much for bearing with us. This is a sensitive topic. We had to take a little break. Um, So where we left off was when Jared was released from the hospital in July. So Jared is released. TA is able to bring him home. Why don't you talk about what it was like to have him home finally? I loved having him at home. Um, But sadly, I knew that... um, we couldn't continue living off of $1,200 a month. And so I was going to have to return back to work. So we had some home care set up. Um, his mom, of course, uh, was over every single day um, helping out while I had gone back to work. And in all my spare time, I spent with him. And and he, like I said, he was weak. Um, so he couldn't walk properly. Um, he had a wheelchair. We had handicapped parking. And it was in the summer and he had just spent so much time in the hospital. So I really did make sure that at any moment and any opportunity that he was feeling good, that I definitely used it. Whether it be, let's go to a movie. Sometimes he couldn't even sit in the theater for the full movie, but at least it got him out of the house for the drive and into the theater for an hour. Let me take you down to White Rock and we would go for frozen yogurt and I would push him in the wheelchair. And... We lived in this teeny tiny basement suite, like I said, and so I'm, I'm a little person. I'm only 5'2". I'm carrying, like, wheelchairs to the car. I'm, I'm almost carrying him because he had to hold on to me and shuffle while he walked. Um, he needed to be bathed um, every two days. He needed his hair washed. He couldn't move his arms the same way, so he needed to have his teeth brushed. I brushed his teeth. Um, he couldn't move his arms. He can't brush teeth. He can't put a fork or a spoon in his mouth properly. So I would feed him. Um, what about bathroom? I know that might be a yeah. horrible topic, but I'm sure people are wondering, like, did you have to take care of everything? Everything. He needed help um, going to the bathroom. And in the end, eventually, he needed to wear a, um, he was wearing a diaper for support. And so I would have to change that for him. But not once did I ever think that, like, Think twice about it. No. And that's what's so crazy is I never thought, like, this is my life. This is what I'm doing. I was more than happy to take care of him. And every time I'd go to wash his hair, I was so happy that his hair was growing back because he had lost all of his hair. And so it was just such, like, for me, I was taking care of him. And I felt like, you know, the more I take care of him, the more he has to rest and the stronger he can get. 
and he had to follow us a certain diet and so I had to adapt the way that I would cook and I did have help like I said we had home care that would come in and check on him and his mom would be there and I had gone back to work but for the most part other than that I was the one fully taking care of him I slept on the couch um, because I wanted him to be comfortable and sleep in the bed and I never slept fully in the middle of the night I would set my alarm to go off like three times in the middle of the night because I always wanted to get up and check on him and make sure that he was breathing because my fear was that one day I'd wake up and he wouldn't be breathing and I'd be in the house by myself yeah, yeah. absolutely so yeah. we know where this uh story ends and I know uh sadly in, in August you you got some news so tell our listeners when you found out that Jared wasn't going to to beat cancer yeah it was August long weekend of 2005 um he started having complications and was taken back to hospital where they did run a bunch of tests and the results from those tests was that the cancer actually had spread and was all over his liver he had multiple tumors and where they were positioned um he was not going to live and so the option at that point was for him to go into palliative care which i declined and everybody told me that i was out of my mind and for me i thought no we have spent the past two years almost in and out of, ho- of hospitals. I have lived in a hospital. I've lived in ICU and so has he, even though he didn't know it. And palliative care is there for people that, that need it. And everyone has a choice. And my choice is that I stay home with him and I take care of him. And did he, at this point, want that choice or did he not even he wasn't even able to make a choice he wasn't able to make a choice I don't think he understood what palliative care was and you knew because you had lived ICU yes and so that day when we were at the hospital and we found that news I went outside and I was bawling my eyes out crying and my parents were outside with me and I just kept repeating over and over again he's not even going to live to be 25 He's not even going to live to be 25. And that just ate me up inside. So from that moment, uh, the next day, kind of a little bit of a funny, like if if I'm going to just add a little bit of lightness here, is that August long weekend, it was the fireworks downtown. And I had been told by certain nurses that I was able to stay the night. And the friends that I would always stay with in Vancouver, they were at the fireworks. And so... I had just decided that I wasn't going to stay there. I was going to stay the night with him. But the ward that he was staying in were different nurses. So they said that I had to go. And I put up a fight. And they were threatening to call security. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Jared is like, please, like, I don't want to see you being, like, carried out here. And I'm like, I don't care. They can carry me. Like, I am not. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. In the end, I I did have to go. I wasn't carried out. I did have to go. But I just look back at that moment. I'm thinking, I'm not getting on a SkyTrain and going back home by myself. And and so I was trying to explain to them, like, my friends are at the fireworks. They're not going to be able to hear to pick me up for hours. These nurses didn't care. I eventually had to leave. And I sat downstairs in, like, the waiting room by myself for, like, two hours before my friends were able to come pick me up. And I was just, I remember feeling like, so you assholes I'm sure is what you were thinking I was but I was so proud of myself for sticking up and just kind of being like I was like no I am strong and I do got this and it doesn't matter what's going on like they're not going to bully me around and so I kind of think back to that and I'm just like no you know what I was a boss babe back then 20 (laughs) you didn't even know know it (laughs) 
So yeah, he, in the end, he came home um, and they were wanting to put a hospital bed in our teeny tiny little basement suite and I refused and I refused and I refused. And as the weeks were going on, like into almost ending the end of, of August, he's get, starting to get weaker and weaker and losing more weight. He's becoming, he's starting to lose more bodily functions and it is becoming harder and harder for me to take care of him. And he's now becoming a dead weight. So before he could always shuffle with me and now I'm trying to lift him and he's starting to hallucinate. He's starting to think things are happening when they're not. He thought the Canucks won the Stanley Cup. He thought that there was a man in the house with a gun trying to shoot me. Um, he thought that he was stuck in a time machine just like the craziest things um one night i woke up and he was peeing on me because he thought that he was standing in the bathroom um and the poor thing and i tell these things not because i don't want him to ever lose his dignity but it's just he really went through such a difficult time and it didn't even phase me like i was just like onwards and upwards time like I'll change the sheets and we'll get yeah like it's fine like into the the shower you go and like and it just eventually got to a point where um I never wanted him to see me cry I never wanted I never cried in front of him I would go into the bathroom and tell him that I was taking a shower and I would turn the shower on and I would sit there and I would cry and cry and cry and then once I got those tears out I felt like okay I'm strong I can do it I'm strong again I can do it and and I just I just carried on and and there eventually you know you can only go so far this way and so I had decided on one Friday um which was September the 16th 2005 that I was gonna have help and I was going to allow the hospital bed to be delivered on the following Monday um but sadly he didn't even make it through that night um he did pass away and he was laying on the couch and I had my sister with me and I had lifted him up in my arms and I'd asked my sister if she could position his pillows behind him to make him more comfortable. And as I went to lay him back down, my words to him were, there you go, love. Are you comfortable now? And he just looked at me and his whole body shifted to one side. And I knew. And my sister goes, oh my gosh, he's passed out. And I just turned to her and I said, um, yeah, can you get on the phone and call mom and dad and just tell them that they need to get here right now? And so it took me a, a minute to kind of, and I'm waiting for him to breathe. I'm looking at him thinking, your breathing's been off since you've had the surgery. Like, I know that it, it's not the same and your body isn't moving the same, but I'm waiting for him to take a breath. And once I realized that he wasn't taking that breath, I ca- called my sister back in the house and I was like, give me the phone. And I dialed 911 and I just explained, I was so calm and my sister's like screaming and crying. And I'm telling 911, like, this is the story. This is his diagnosis. This is where he's been for the past six months. This is what's happened in the past month since he's been home. And I had them on speakerphone. I was down on my hands and knees and they were walking me through how to give him CPR and I could hear the sirens and I was saying to the guy on the phone like I can hear the sirens I can hear the sirens and we lived in this basement suite so he had said like tell are you by yourself and I was like my my sister is with me so she went running outside and I think she knew when she went running outside because it was an ambulance a police and a fire truck and 
they came running in and they had asked if there was a do not resuscitate. And I was like, no, there's not. You can like work on him, work on him, like revive him. And so now at this point, I had made a call to his parents. I had made a call to my parents. I had made a call to my best friend. And they were all now on their way. And they were just had like their little paddles, like charge. And they were like charging at him and charging at him. And I just remember, talk about the moment that haunts me, his body like looking like it was like levitating off the ground. And I just said, stop, stop, stop. You're hurting him. You're hurting him. You're hurting him. Stop. And they just looked at me and they were like, is that your final call? Time of death. They set the time. They set the date. And that was it. And my sister had now gone outside and my parents said, no, my parents are thinking he's passed out because this is the call. Because they, they weren't there for the whole thing. Right. So, um, he, that was it. And now we have the family showing up and, oh my goodness, his mom and dad, um, I don't think that they've ever healed from it. And, um, my best friend comes running through the gate with her pajamas and her husband and we were just all on the ground crying hugging holding each other holding him because his body was still warm and i cut a piece of his hair i now this not like this was many years ago i threw it out but at the time i just felt like i have to have something to hold on to so i cut a lock of his hair and i put it in a ziploc bag and I knew that they were going to come take him away in a couple of hours. And so I laid on the ground next to his body because it was still warm. Because I'm like, I'm not leaving him here. We're not leaving him in this basement suite. And all the family and everyone made their way out. My poor landlords, because we loved them so much and they loved us. They knew what was going on. Neighbors were out watching. And, and so at this point, everybody is cleared out and I'm just on the ground and my dad comes in and he says to me, it's time. And this sounds just so like dark, but we've talked about everything and I really want to be transparent. Here's another moment that haunts me. Them coming in and zipping him up in a bag and wheeling him out on a gurney. I stood at my dad's van kicking and screaming and crying because that was it. I knew that that was it. And my I knew that forever from that moment on, my life would forever be affected and will forever be changed. And that I was now almost 22 years old and I was a widow. And what am I going to do? And the only thing that I knew also is I had really watched him disintegrate. So I knew that he wasn't suffering anymore. Yeah. But, um, you know, he lost his battle and he fought. And bless his heart, he fought hard. And so from that moment on, you know, arrangements had to be made, a funeral had to be made. And I talked about how everybody loved this man. There was over... So you spoke at the funeral? I didn't speak at the funeral. Um, There was over 500 people at the funeral. So I didn't... Some of them were clients. Some of them were people that he worked with, family, friends from afar. And I just remember my dad ushering me in and me sitting at the front of this hall with his picture blown up with a floral arrangement around it. And um, this very close, kind family friend gave a lovely talk about him. And just thinking, I can't believe that this is my life. My life. And I can't believe that this is the end of like 
everything that's gone on. The battle that the you've battle, gone through. Like, and it just goes to show how, of course, it affected Jared, but it affected everyone around him, especially you, yeah. his wife. Yeah. And so that is kind of, you know, from that moment, you know, um, it's sad, but life goes on. And I really did struggle with it. And I would actually have to say, if I'm being honest, um, I didn't deal with it in the beginning. And I think it kind of came out in later years. But it took me a good 10 years to really, truly come to terms. And I don't think that I would be the woman that I am today. And we, you said earlier, we talk about our travel and our luxury things or that we've, you know, get to do this or makeup and, and sex and, and, and dating and oh, I'm Bumbleina and we have a good laugh about it. And all those things are great and fun. But my life certainly has not been picture perfect. And I don't even know if I would be half of those things or even be the girl that I am today if it wasn't for for what happened. And so no matter what, for the rest of my life, his memory will always be with me. But at this point in time, he is more of a friend that I lost. The feelings of losing a husband and a lover over time started to slowly go away where it slowly becomes, I lost my best friend. And you know what? I lost a little bit of me that day that he passed away. I truly did. A part of me left too, but I got a different part of me back. And so, um, you know, I, I never want to have to watch that again. I never want any one of my loving family members or friends have to go through that again. And, and when I hear of other people that are going through this, or when I hear of people that have lost somebody, my heart goes out to them in a completely different way because I know the feelings. I don't know the exact feelings because everyone's circumstance is different, but it's not easy. And for anybody currently right now that is going through anything like this, we I may not know you, we may not know you, but just keep up the strength and the positivity and being there for your loved ones because that's really the only thing you can you can do in these circumstances. Yeah. So before we finish off, I just want to say I never had the pleasure of of meeting Jared and um we we've talked about this issue or this this scenario the story and it it's heavy and I'm it's sad you can hear that I've been crying but I do have a favorite story of Jared, and it's definitely a lighter story. And I think it's always nice when you think back of your your loved ones and people who who you've lost to think about um, lighter stories or positive memories. And uh, this story is just a testament, and I didn't know Jared, so you can can, uh, provide more context, but... Through it all, it seems like Jared didn't le- lose his sense of humor. Would no, you agree? He didn't. And so, please, you have to end our podcast with the wig story. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, no, he definitely never lost his sense of humor. Um, my dad had this huge black wig. It was like a slash wig. Like from, like Kiss. From, yes, exactly. <laughs> and at the time, my sister was dating this guy, and his parents lived in Edmonton, and so they had come to visit. And so my dad had asked Jared, when uh, his parents arrive, I'm going to say to them, you know, I'm not too sure if you know, but my son-in-law is quite sick and has been going through chemotherapy. And so because he is bald, he's really self-conscious, so he wears a wig. So... <laughs> And Jared thought it was the greatest thing ever and, like, decided to play play along with it. Well, that's so, the funny part, and it's just yeah. so hilarious thinking about his little body. Yeah, 
<laughs> this big like, black leg. He's like 90 pounds and can barely eat and has gone through all this like treatment. And yet he's thinking that this is hilarious that his father-in-law wants to, to play this, this prank. Play, this prank. <laughs> he puts on the wig like a trooper and um, the boyfriend's parents arrive at the house and my dad gives a spiel like, I'm not too sure if you know, but my son-in-law is ill and like this, like this, like this. And he's gone through chemotherapy. He has no hair, hair so he does wear a wig and I just want to give you <laughs> And this is the first time they've ever come to our house or ever met our family. And they're from Edmonton, so they've never met any of you. No, they've never met any of us. Had your sister met his, her in, future in-laws or whatever? Yeah, and yeah. they were kind. Like, they drove out for the funeral. And so they they said, oh, no problem. And we know about the, the hard time your family's been going through. We can't wait to meet this strong young man. And so they come walking <laughs> up the stairs. And here's Jared sitting with his huge black, like, rock star wig on, <laughs> on his head. <laughs> He was like, the whole was night. so hot. <laughs> and he wore it for the whole night. And they went along with it. Oh, they went along with it the whole time. And, you know, again, bless his heart. He never lost his sense of humor. And so I'm so happy that we were able to end this and that you, um, I know you and I really talked a lot about this when we were on our trip that one day. And I think I, that's when I told you that story. So thank you for, you know, bringing that, bringing that up. And I'm so happy that his legacy lives on in, in some way. And, that, and that's it's so funny. Yeah, that, that actually is a hilarious story. And yeah. I know your dad, and he's such a prankster. And then that story is just one, a nice story to think about. So thank you so much, TA, for opening up and sharing the story. I'm, I'm sure it wasn't easy. It's, it's definitely provides you some context of where TA was at that time of her life and where she is now and just how much growth I've seen from you in those years. Um, everyone out there probably has experienced loss in some capacity. So to our listeners who are out there who have experienced loss, my heart goes out to you. Um, but, you know, what a boss babe does is you pick yourself back up again and life goes on, right? And you're a true testament to what a boss babe can do, you know, to to rise again. So thank you so much for tuning in. I'm not going to talk about all the ways you can follow us. It it seems um, not appropriate at this time, but you know where you can reach us. And um, thank you so much for tuning in tonight. We love you. Love you. You know you love us. XOXO. Boss babes.